Hello, welcome to the Daily Zen Podcast. This is episode four, and my name is Charlie Ambler, the creator of Daily Zen. Uh, Yesterday I posted on Twitter asking what topics you wanted me to discuss today, and I got 17 replies, which is pretty good. Um, The first of which was, dude, you got a podcast? Where do I hear this? And uh, the answer is to just search Daily Zen podcast on iTunes. (laughs) Um, Not to be a smart ass, but that's the answer. Um, So I'll just get straight to these questions. Hope everybody had a good weekend. I'm recording this on Monday. I'll probably put it up tomorrow because I just put another one up on Friday. Um, Someone said... I would appreciate if anything about emotional outbursts was discussed. Um, I have had a fair amount of experience with that because I have always had uh, to overcome a certain amount of anger when dealing with other people. Uh, And I think that's part of what drew me to meditation to begin with. I think that the impulse that you cultivate when you meditate is the impulse to step back and to think not think twice about something, but to not think and to think with your, your actual intention rather than your thinking mind, so to speak. Um, and I think emotions are always the result of the thinking mind, the feeling mind and the ego. And so when you learn to sort of cultivate this calmness of mind or this neutrality, you're not so prone to having emotional outbursts, and that includes anger, that includes jealousy, you know, that includes uh, over-enthusiastic happiness that sometimes leads people astray and causes them to feel great suffering. I think a lot of people just think that emotional outbursts are pertaining to negative emotions, but if you have an outburst of happiness at a situation that doesn't necessarily um, deem that, that can harm you because like, let's say you're in a relationship with someone and you're so engrossed in your own interpretation of it that you are really excited, but the other person doesn't feel the same way. Um, you're kind of just setting yourself up to get hurt because you're not living in reality. Um, now, meanwhile, you know, if you are mindful and you do some sort of adequate survey of the situation and you recognize that there is a mutual reason to be that there's a a reason in truth to be happy and to be peaceful rather than a reason in fantasy, then that's, you know, more attuned with what's going to make you feel positive and happy in life. So I, I like to view emotional outbursts in that way. I mean, there's the, the negative consequences of having an angry outburst towards someone are obvious. You know, you say things you don't mean, you sever connections and burn bridges and you know, just generally cause a ruckus and cause yourself more hurt than you had to begin with. Um, but having um, having to force a positive outburst as a response to life that you might deem unsatisfactory is also a harmful practice, I think. So I think the thing that meditation does is sort of keeps you grounded in reality and helps you not pretend that things are better than they are, but it also helps you realize that things are not as bad as you might think they are when you think they're bad. That the thing that's telling you that everything is bad is usually your ego, and that's highly subjective and not rooted in reality. 
So I hope that maybe people can keep that in mind when they're feeling really emotionally charged. Because like a lot like pure thought, pure rationality, pure emotion is totally not rooted in reality. I mean, you know, nature is not wholly rational. Rationality is man's attempt to put order to nature, which is often spontaneous and mysterious in its underlying operations. And um, similarly, to be purely emotional from a human point of view is similarly to being similar to being purely rational because you're not operating on the same wavelength as nature. Um, and so you'll come into conflict with it. Everything that is outside of yourself you'll come to conflict with if you are not um, somewhat in tune with what is true and what's going on. And so the crucial thing, I think, is to just stay open to observation and to understanding the world, not just through your own lens, but to try to understand yourself and how your own um, background and interpretations color how the world appears to you because it's different for everybody. That also helps you not have emotional outbursts at other people for dealing with the world in a way different from how you might deal with it. Um, a salient next question or topic is uh, dealing with what you perceive to be the general person's stupidity. That's, a, that's another one that I've dealt with quite a bit, like I'm sure everyone has. The irony being that everyone always thinks that everyone else is, you know, stupid and wonders why the world functions the way it does. I think there's no doubt that the, throughout human history, the general consensus of the masses is, you know, usually pretty, of, of a pretty low quality just because, by definition, statistically, the vast majority, you know, at, the vast majority of people are either average or below average in terms of you know, intelligence, taste, etc. That's just a rule. Um, and so, of course, you know, if you're, if you feel that you're a highly individuated or intelligent person, you're going to look at what other people do as a mass and think, oh man, this is like, what a drag this is. I think though that the phenomenon of thinking that other people are, um, that other people are stupid or that they're so disconnected from you that you can't really relate to them is the result of this sort of modern atomized society that we live in where individuality is praised above all else and you're, you're believed to be uh, the best person if you can make yourself smarter and more creative, more unique, um, richer, more famous, whatever, than everyone else. Uh, the irony being that you're... you're in theory, supposed to be um, to, supposed to feel better about yourself the more you individu individuate yourself from others, but the more you do that, the more alienated you tend to feel from others. And so, you know, the double-edged sword of trying to differentiate yourself is that you're going to feel like everyone else is either lesser than or different from you, and that can be a, you know, that's an illusory burden to carry, because the same way that your emotions towards other people and disagreeing with other people aren't the truth. Your beliefs about the masses and about all these people that you seem to think are in cahoots with one another aren't the truth, you know. All of those people probably think that about you and whatever, you know, groups and categories you can be sorted into. 
So, you know, I, I think there's a doubtless um, unintelligence that exists among the masses in modern society, but I don't think it's necessarily the fault of those individuals. It seems to be the fault of the systems that produce them. So to have some compassion and realize that people are not, the same way that you're not entirely responsible for what you think and believe, the people that you interact with or that you see or that you frown upon even aren't responsible for, entirely responsible for what they believe and think. Um, and I think recognizing that people aren't completely powerful over the way that they behave and act in the world is a good step towards compassion because it's important to see people as a product of their environment and, and, and their environments as a product of the people who are in them. But not to hold people too responsible because that creates the sort of distance that leads to actual conflict and alienation. You know, this is the sort of conflict that would occur when two populations are at war and each population dehumanizes the other one because they, you know, believe that they're heathens or they're stupid or they're degenerate or whatever it is. So, you know, we don't want to... It's okay to hold yourself to a higher standard than what you consider to be the standard of mass society. And if you're doing something like, you know, going on Twitter and following philosophical Twitter accounts, even though that might seem a little corny, it's still something that's more constructive than what a lot of people do with their time. Um, <laughs> but it's important to not get too high on your horse about that because then you'll start to feel unreal hatred and dislike towards other people, which isn't healthy and is going to hurt you more than the, you know, differentiating yourself helps you, if that makes sense. And everyone, everyone's been there at some point. I mean, people get really swallowed up by different ideologies and they start to think that, you know, that they're right and that everyone else is wrong and it, it makes the world seem crazy, you know. But the irony being that it's crazy of an individual to think that they've figured it out because no one's figured it out. And it's just foolish to give up the quest for actual knowledge and actual wisdom by just saying, yeah, you know, I've got it. I've figured it out. All you are wrong. You're all stupid, you know. That's a, that's a, the most um, simple-minded way to conclude one's journey towards knowledge. And I think any truly intelligent person would acknowledge in their old age that there's no end to the attempt to figure out what the world is all about and what's going on. And everyone is on that quest in their own way. I mean, even people who seem like they're really, really dull or whatever, they're all doing what they think to, what they think is most, you know, constructive. Um, and even if people don't seem self-reflective, if you really tapped them and spoke to them and tried to, you know, get deep into their psyche, you'd, you'd find the same sort of insight that you think you have, you know. Um, Okay, what else? Oh, this is a good one. Zen presence and the cybersphere. Uh, well, I've often been called out for, ironically, um, posting twenty, posting about Zen and meditation twenty different times each day on Twitter. The answer to that is that I use an automated software that I've 
fill up at the beginning of the week and it posts throughout the week. So what you're seeing is not me like sitting at my computer waiting every hour to post. Um, it's just trying to keep the trying to keep the hopper full of content because everything moves very fast, which I think transitions pretty nicely into the idea that um, the world of technology and the sort of modern scientific, automated, highly efficient, highly rational, um, unvariating world is a lot of times at odds with the spiritual world. And that's one of these contradictions that I think I've had to embrace as a, someone who's using the technological advancements of hypermodernity to reach the audience that I want to reach. Um, it happens to be a very effective way to reach other people. You just have to take it with a grain of salt because it's not that personal. I think one of the reasons I started doing this podcast is because speaking to you as an audience, as individuals, is more closer to my heart as a goal for this project than, you know, just sharing lots of mindless, un uncontext, non-contextual quotes on Twitter. And the ultimate lesson being that um, there's nothing wrong with utilizing the the gifts of modernity and the gifts of technology if we have that added presence and that spiritual element. I think there's no limit to the, the harm that can be done by um, using those tools mindlessly. And we see that every day on an, every side of every spectrum of people who forget the, their humanity and get lost in the cyber sphere or whatever. <laughs> So what's crucial, I think, is to just practice alongside your enthusiasm for the way the world is progressing because you can't halt that progress or stall it. And the entire history of the human race has been this march towards the next thing because the same way that time is this cycle that moves forward, our impulse as a part of that is to always be changing and growing and improving things and making things faster and bigger and whatever. So, you know, the the cybersphere and the digital world and all of these things are never going to stop growing and expanding. And your job within them is to practice these ancient techniques like meditation. You know, if you practice prayer, that works great. Um, just Just ways to stay grounded in the natural world, ways to get rid of your ego, um, to stay calm and to recognize your own subjectivity and your own fragility in the world so that you don't start to think that you're a part of the machine. I think that's the crucial thing. You know, the all of the digital tools at our disposal are inventions of our of our own. They're not these they're not parts of us. They weren't created alongside us or they didn't create us especially. I think people's identities get so bound up in their in their virtual personas that they start to think that what they see virtually is reality. Um, but what attracts people to technology is precisely the fact that it's artificial and that it doesn't often um, realistically parallel reality. And 
that's why you find communities of lots of strange, like different strange communities of people online that have a common obsession or a goal or some sort of ideology because in a virtual realm it's really easy to cultivate an ideology as if it's reality but in real life it's a lot harder because you come into conflict with the actual world and with other people and reality um, but if you can manufacture a fantasy world virtually that makes the adherence of of strange unreal ideas and ego projections a lot easier um, so, you know, if we practice meditation and we practice Zen alongside our participation in this evolving world, we can help contribute in little tiny ways even, just through the way we communicate with others, uh, a more mindful spirit to the whole vast chaos that we seem to be perceiving. If we get overwhelmed and upset and whatever, or rebel against it or be Luddites, you know, there's no real use in that because it's not going to change the course of it. And so if we can just learn to act mind, mindfully within the, the superstructure as it is, we can provide on an individual basis something of benefit, I think. Not, it's never good to discount yourself and your own ability to, um, to bring peace and um, rationality and understanding to the discourse, no matter what it is. Um, I see people on every side, you know, I see people who are super conservative, who get really upset about, you know, liberals and special snowflakes and whatever. And then I see people who are obsessed with identity politics, who, you know, have a million different labels for themselves and think that they're victims of every, everyone. Um, and all of that is just like this ideological echo chamber that exists purely on the internet. And as soon as it comes, you know, as soon as you run into those people in real life, you see that they're like very low functioning and they have a very difficult time on both the left and the right or, you know, in the religious world or the atheistic world, whatever. Those people who are so attached to these ideas and concepts, when they try to go through the actual world and deal with actual people in a, in a pragmatic way, they have a lot of trouble. And it only hurts them more and pushes them further into the world of the unreal. And so we can do everyone, including ourselves, a favor by embracing the real world before we embrace the digital sphere and making peace with who we actually are in the real world and what the, what the real world is to us before we start engaging in um, these strange convoluted behaviors on the Internet. It's a long-winded answer, but I've thought a lot about that, so hopefully that was helpful to you. Um... Okay, I'll do one more. Accepting the right love. I like that. The Similarly to what I was just talking about, I think the idea of love has been peddled to people for a long time by forces of the unreal. And so you have... Um, you have all these popular conceptions of love that are highly manufactured and not rooted in reality, you know, from movies, music, TV, stories, whatever. Um, those conceptions of love being appealing precisely to the extent that they're not real because the only reason a lot of times that, um, that fictional portrayals of concepts 
appeal to us is because they present reality more uh, appealingly or um, more in tune with our egos than it actually is. And so the process of, for me, the process of understanding what love actually is, is the process of realizing what it means to me on an experiential um, basis. And that comes through a lot of trial and error and difficulty, much like everything else that's worth learning. Uh, what are the qualities of good, compassionate love, I would say? Um, non, a non-egotistical exchange of ideas, feelings, thoughts. Uh, two people who are too en engrossed in their egos and too obsessed with their ideas of themselves and of one another are going to have a difficult time communicating on a truly honest and uh, deep basis. So one of the easy boundaries to overcome is being honest with yourself and being honest with yourself about what you want and what you actually need in life. And sometimes you don't really know until you've experienced what you don't need, what you actually need. Uh, a lot of people get caught up in idealized forms of one another. They want to date or marry or whatever, someone who's like this or like that, or someone who looks a certain way. Um, I feel like that's the ultimate trap is you see the way someone dresses and acts and what music they listen to or what their job is or how attractive they are. And you have a idealized um, persona in your head that you think is them, but you never reach a deeper understanding of who they are because you are projecting your own interpretation of them onto them. Uh, and that's not love. That is uh, sort of just, I guess, it's basically a masturbatory impulse where you kind of just want to please yourself with someone else instead of maybe suffer through a certain degree of having to understand yourself better in order to understand someone else better. You know, if you have denied the realities of, um, of your life or your personality because you don't want to deal with them because maybe they're painful, uh, you might end up having to sort your way through a lot of unfulfilling or difficult relationships because you're projecting this idealized version of yourself onto other people and as a result kind of forcing them to do the same thing. Uh, and then, you know, both people end up living in this fantasy world that isn't reality and wondering why they feel unfulfilled and making up a million reasons why and causing trouble and conflict, blah, blah, blah. You know, but um, if you can figure out a way to work through those internal contradictions and difficulties uh, with another person and communicate with yourself and not be afraid to change into who you are, believe you actually are, um, that's a truly transformative and special process. And I think that's what love, that's the, the purpose love serves, honestly, is to help people know themselves better so that they can truly um, devote themselves to another person in a selfless and caring way. And when two people can do that symbiotically and grow side by side into who they actually are, that's what creates the the natural bond between two people that is, you know, has been 
present throughout all human societies and all of history, um, no matter who those two people are. Um, the religious belief that, you know, um, that two individuals should devote themselves to one another is, I think, an extremely valuable impulse because that sort of represents this dualism of, of life that we experience all the time. And if you can learn to grow into who you are alongside another individual um, and learn love that way, then that sort of reflects the ultimate peace that, that should exist you know, in all individuals um, and between all individuals on a person-to-person -person basis. Unfortunately, that's you know, uh, also a fantasy. Our job as, you know, people who are capable of love is to um, to reach the truth of it as honestly and carefully as we can, uh, without rushing the process and without pretending. Because as soon as we as soon as we start pretending or projecting some sort of ego vision onto another person. Um, or denying that the reality of a situation isn't what we think it is, we only create more problems and difficulties to overcome later. And so accepting the right love means um, rooting out the love that's needy or false and figuring out how to find within yourself enough um, comfort to accept someone who um, might be different from you or, you know, not always uh, gratifying to your ego. And I think that kind of helps people rise above their ego um, and be honest with others and true to others and loyal and um, generally just kind of more virtuous. Over time, I think that builds really, really intensely into a beautiful experience that two people can have together when they have figured out a way to break down all the boundaries between them and realize that um, that they can be on it, like that they know what it is to be honest, you know. Because I think just because of our enculturation and the way a lot of people are raised um, differently and the different approaches they have to love or their different needs, um, a lot of people never reach that stage of honesty that is what actually leads to lasting uh, love it's not really as much about attachment as it is about um, uh, loyalty honesty um, and selflessness I think you know the irony being that the type of love that exists in in popular culture is often extremely selfish and um, extremely theoretical and that's not gonna that's not gonna help anyone really Unfortunately, as nice as the fantasies are. Um, okay, well, that's basically time. So, thanks for listening. I'm doing an hour total of recording each week, so this is the first of two episodes for this week. Feel free to send comments and suggestions on Twitter, because I need them. And, uh, yeah, also ask questions for the and topics for the next one, because I basically works through the, the ones that I wanted to talk about this time. So I'll make another thread, though, asking you guys what you want to hear. Um, and if you don't already follow on Twitter, remember twitter.com slash dailyzen. 
Um, if you enjoy the ideas you hear here, I will shamelessly plug my book, which is a collection of essays I wrote over the course of the last couple of years. Um, it's on Amazon for, I think, like $9. There's a paperback version. The Kindle version is currently unavailable, but the paperback version is available. So uh, thanks for listening. Okay, bye.